and welcome to Speak the Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you once again for joining me. If you haven't clicked subscribe or follow, be sure you go ahead and do so. Come out with new episodes every Wednesday morning. You're going to want to check it out. Yes, today we have an excellent show lined up. The first segment we're going to have is Hurricane Preparedness for Your Pets. Yes, this doesn't just affect us Floridians. It's a lot of people everywhere, up and down the East Coast here, you know, and the Gulf, uh, a lot of states, a lot of people that can be affected. And it's important to know and have that checklist and be ready for when a hurricane comes with your animals. Then we're going to have a segment called Leash Work 101, going over some of those basics of how to gain success with a leash with your dog. Then we'll have the Breed of the Week, followed by the Listener Q&A. And if you guys have questions for that Listener Q&A, email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. But before we get going with the episode today, gotta give you that trivia question. And today's question is, what dog was bred from the old English Bulldog and the now extinct Bullenbeiser? Yes, what dog was bred from the old English Bulldog and the now extinct Bullenbeiser? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's episode, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's hurricane preparedness with your pets. All my years living in Florida, my whole life, I've been through a few hurricanes, you know? Thank goodness, um, you know, really thank goodness I haven't been through a incredibly horrible, serious one, but definitely seen a few. And and I, you know, I lived in Orlando when the 04 hurricanes came through. As a matter of fact, I packed for college <laughs> with no power, no AC, no nothing. Uh, man, that was that was rough during that hur- during those hurricanes. I ended up going to college, I think, for what? It was like two weeks, the first two weeks of school only to turn around and have to be sent right back home because of another hurricane coming right at us. Any of you guys in Florida back in 04, you remember that madness. Um, it's crazy. You know, you still drive down certain parts of, especially like, you know, I'm, I'm from Orlando. I lived there for years. And even today, you drive down certain roads and guys, you still see trees, like like a whole field. And granted, well, Orlando's growing. These Those fields of trees are, are less and less and far, far few in between. But nonetheless, guys, how many years later, we're almost 20 years later here, you know, uh, just a little under 20 years. And some of these trees are still like bent sideways, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy. So, so my experiences with hurricanes are, are, are going to college during this madness. And, and of course, having to deal with them once you're an adult and you have a home to take care of, a family to take care of, pets, animals, it, it can become a daunting task. You know, hurricanes are no joke. And while sure in Florida, we joke a uh, category one, category two, we're not overly concerned about Part of the reason we're not overly concerned is because most of us, most of us are prepared. You know, uh, we have generators, we have batteries, we have uh, stock of, of food, all this kind of stuff that goes into it. I mean, guys, I could I could go through the human checklist <laughs> of stuff that we have for a hurricane to get prepped for it, and it's crazy. Let alone let's tack on the animals. You know, um, so us Floridians, we joke, we have hurricane parties. I admit, back in the day in college, I I attended a hurricane party or two. <laughs> Um, who hasn't? It's a rite of passage. It really is. Um, but no, but there's some serious thought and some serious, you know, things you have to do and prepare for that you need to, you need to get ready if you're living in Florida. And unfortunately, not only that, just the the Southeast and Hey, you know, look, uh, gosh, I, I pray for everybody up North and hope you guys are, are, are doing well up there and taking care. And I got that hurricane coming at you. And you know, it's, it's, it's not just a Floridian problem. It really isn't when you think about it. So there's a lot of prep work that goes into getting ready for a hurricane when you have animals, okay? So we're going to run through a couple things today. We're going to talk about the essentials, things you have to have, things you just, you, you got to have with you, right? And then we're going to talk about maybe just some things to think about. Are you prepared in this way, that way? It's not just supplies. It's also things you got to do ahead of time. And then, of course, the worst case scenario, guys, evacuating. That's something nobody wants to have to deal with ever. But it is a reality sometimes. Um, look, that was, what, two years ago, we had the threat of that Category 5 hurricane coming right at us. And that's that's absolutely terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. And that was that was on our that was on our radar, obviously, that we were ready to pack up and get out. And what we had to do to do that, you know, it's it's a lot when you have animals and, and anyway. All right. So 
you know, let's just, let's dive into it. Being prepared is always the best way to go. And the more you prepare, hey, the better you're going to be in, in a terrible situation like that. So let's run through the essentials. The first thing we have to think about with a hurricane and animals, and for that matter, yourselves, obviously, water, guys, water, right? Um, it, it's one of those things where whew, you you better have enough of it, right? <laughs> you know, you lose power a lot of times when when we have the water and the floods, uh, flood tables, all the water all messed up. It can really mess with our groundwater. And even if you're on a well system, you may not be able to use that well system post-hurricane, especially if you don't have power, if you don't have a generator. So water is something you got to take into consideration big time. You also have to think about how much water each of your animals is going to use. Okay, so you have to do a little math here. I definitely have to with now we have five dogs, um, you know, cat, everything we have going on here. I have to really take into consideration how much water. So a rough idea is that a 50 pound dog should need about a quarter gallon of water per day. Now, this is a rough estimate, guys. If it's really hot out, they may need more than that. If you're not, if you don't have AC, they may need more than this. Uh, another way, 24 ounces for a 20 pound dog per day. So you can do the multiplying there and figure it out. 128 ounces in a gallon, guys. Uh, so do a little math. But you gotta, you gotta be prepared for this. Look, I'll be honest. We've been, we prepare for a hurricane season pretty much year round, pretty much year round, and we always make sure we've got a good stock and good supply of water for our pets. Now I am on a well system out here. What happens if a tree falls into my well and breaks my well and my well says, I mean, we've got a generator. That's great and all. It can power the well, but what happens when your well is inoperable after a hurricane because of damage? You have to have that water back up ready to go. So we've got gallons and jugs of water ready to go for our dogs. And again, once that hurricane starts coming closer to us, that's when the calculations really start coming out and we're making sure we really have enough water. It's a good idea. You know, they say to have a week worth of supplies. That's what a lot you'll hear out there. Personally, I like to double that. I want to have 14 days of water on hand. You got it. And 14 days of food. That brings us to the next thing, food, right? Look, with great things like Chewy and Amazon and all these wonderful ways that we can get out there, and even Pet, you know, Petco's doing um, free delivery. Awesome. Like, hey, I'm not I'm not getting any endorsement here, but I gotta give shouts shouts to where it is, you know. Uh, I had a, I had actually had a client in boot camp. She forgot to grab an extra bag of food. Not a big deal. You know, we can run to the store or whatever. No, didn't need to. She actually called Petco and they had it delivered same day because her normal delivery service was running behind. <laughs> they were delayed. Uh, so I kind of, you know, that, that was kind of cool. Um, so there's all these different pet stores that are doing great stuff, curbside, all that good stuff. There's no reason you can't stock up and have enough food for your dog for two weeks. I really recommend 10 to 14 days of keeping food. One other thing to keep in mind with food, guys, is we have a hurricane coming. There is the potential for water damage, water getting into your home. Uh, make sure you have a watertight container, whether that be a you know proper dog food bin, or maybe you want to divvy it up into Ziplocs and then put it in a big container. Not a bad idea either. That way you've got everything pre-done, pre-measured, ready to go. Makes it easy for anybody you know to help feed your dog in, in an emergency situation. Um, but again, to me, it's 10 to 14 days you need to have of water and food. Next up is the medications. Any necessary medications for your dog, you know, again, they, you'll read a lot of places that say 14 weeks, or excuse me, 14 days, 14 weeks, that's a long time, uh, 14 days, two weeks of medications. Look, to me, guys, if, if, they, if this is a life and death kind of medication, get a month's supply. Call your vet and see if you can't get another backup month supply of it. Because God forbid, you don't know what's going to happen to the vet. The roads may be in poor condition after the hurricane. And you don't necessarily know how long, depending on how far you are from your vet office. You don't know how long it's going to be before you can get back there. Okay, so I really recommend if it's necessary, if it's life-saving medication, if it's important medication, have a month backup on hand ready to go. Now, also, don't forget about that flea and tick medication, heartworm meds. Make sure your dogs, your cats, everybody's up to date on that stuff. You have, look, if it's due seven days after the hurricane's going to be there, I definitely would make sure you have it on hand, right? Okay, so think about those things, all the medications. That's Those, those are those necessary, to me, those are the essentials, right? Water, food, meds. Those are the most important things that we need to have plenty of and make sure we have on, our, on hand for our pets, okay? Now, some things to think about. Is your pet microchipped? Is your pet up to date on shots? 
Do you have copies of all their records? Are their tags up to date, their name tags? These are things you really need to be preparing for and thinking about ahead of time, okay? This, and this should be well before a hurricane's on its way. <laughs> you, should be, you should have these things ready to go, you know? Um, not only is your, let's start with the microchip, guys. Not only is your dog microchipped, is the microchip information up to date? Make sure you get on those websites. Make sure your address, if you've moved, maybe even the past year, you just kind of forgot. I know it can slip through the cracks. Uh, make sure you check. Make sure you double check and see where that microchip is. Of course, vet offices, guys, they have microchip scanners. Local shelters have microchip scanners. There's no reason you can't get out there and make sure the information is correct. And if it's not, get it up to date, right? Now, of course, up to date on shots in an emergency situation. You want to make sure your dog has their rabies shot. Parva, all these things... Um, all the all the different shots that are necessary, make sure they're up to date on it. Pretty straightforward. Shouldn't have to explain that much more, right? Next, you want to have a copy of their records on hand. I would even recommend taking a copy of their records, either laminating it, putting it in a big Ziploc, once again, having that watertight container for something like that, okay? Of course, make sure their tags are up to date. Make sure they're their right name, you know, their name is on their tags, <laughs> obviously. Make sure the phone number's up to date, all important stuff. Um, you know, a couple other small things to think about maybe having on hand during this, some slip leashes. Have some extra slip leashes ready to go. They're really easy. You don't have to have a collar on the dog. Uh, slip leashes are definitely something you want to keep on hand. Maybe some supplies for cleaning up messes. If you've listened to my podcast before and you've heard me talk about uh, pee pads, this might be the opportunity for a pee pad to be helpful, right? Put them by the door. Your dog might use it. But here's the thing. Here's the thing with a hurricane. As most of us know, dogs are you know, pretty in tune with barometric pressure, and they can feel when that barometric pressure drops. Now, of course, when a hurricane comes through, guys, that barometric pressure like tanks. And dogs really feel it. And in my experience, when we have those kind of storms, even just come nearby, not even necessarily hit us directly, you'll you'll find that your dogs know there's a storm coming and they kind of go more into a hunker down mode. Maybe they get more anxious. And well, that's a story for a different day on maybe your dog has anxiety issues to begin with and the storm doesn't help and just kind of exacerbates that. It's not necessarily that your dog's anxious over storms. Maybe they're anxious in general. Uh, different conversation, different day. <laughs> uh, but needless to say, they'll, they'll feel the storm coming and they'll go into sort of, like I said, a hunker down mode. And so what I try to do is just get the dogs out right as that hurricane's moving in, the outer bands are there when it's really not too bad. It's still safe. You know, we're not talking 50 mile an hour winds, not even tropical storm level yet. Get your dogs outside and make sure they have plenty of time to relieve themselves, right? In my experience, when they go into hunker down mode, as long as you let them relieve themselves at the beginning like that, they'll hold it for 12 or 14 hours without even caring. <laughs> I mean, really. Uh, because they don't want to go outside. They don't want to use the bathroom. Instinct is telling them, hunker down, okay? So I don't really see a problem. I haven't had that problem with my dogs having accidents in the house or needing to use the bathroom. They've had no interest. They've had no interest in using the bathroom in the house. Even when I try to give them a place to go or an opportunity, they just don't need to because I, I allowed them to relieve themselves beforehand. And again, instinct is telling them, I don't need to go outside and lift a leg right now. I need to worry about safety first and hunker down. Okay, so, you know, I grass, you need to bring grass in. Do you need to bring pee pads in? Look, to me, if you want to bring, a, if you want to go buy a pee pad and put it by the front door, give them that, or the, whatever door they go out to go use the bathroom, sure, right? Give them the opportunity. And of course, then you need to have supplies for cleaning up the mess. Not a big deal. Uh, different, you know, this is these are extenuating circumstances here. This is an emergency. If your dog need to use, needs to use the bathroom and needs to go inside, it is what it is in this scenario. That's just what it is, you know. Um, but again, my experience, they're not going to be interested in, do, in really needing that. So uh, throwing that out there. Now, let's move on. Um, one other supply, one other thing you might want to think about having on hand, guys, life jackets for your dogs. If you're in a, a flood, uh, you know, a, a flood prone area, you're definitely going to want to have some life jackets on hand for your pets, just in case. It's all about imagine worst case scenario. I hope I, you know, I hope that never happens to anybody. Of course, that these worst case, but unfortunately, you need to be prepared for them, right? Better to be prepared and not needed, of course. All that good stuff. Okay. One other small thing I want to throw out there. This isn't like dog related exactly, but it's kind of a aha uh, moment. Uh, we all know when a hurricane comes, power is going to go out. We need to have batteries. We need to have flashlights. What about solar yard lights? Yeah, 
Like this is kind of genius because before a hurricane comes in, normally guys, there's there's like a calm before the storm. It's actually normally beautiful weather the day or two before the before the hurricane comes. Um, stick those yard lights out there, charge them up real good, and you can bring them inside and actually use them as ambient lighting and not have to waste as many flashlights. It's genius, actually. I mean, really, it's genius. I actually saw this tidbit somewhere online and had to share it with you guys. So solar yard lights might actually make a great ambient light for your house, and you can, of course, recharge them every day when you don't have power. So something kind of to think about there. Now, getting to the worst case, worst case scenario, guys, evacuating. It's never what anybody wants to have to do, but unfortunately, that's something you have to consider when we have hurricanes, especially these really terrible storms that come at us, evacuating. Or if you're if you're in a flood-prone area or you live on the coast, you definitely, definitely need to have it in your plan uh, to have some sort of evacuation plan, evacuation route, okay? Um, you know, it, it's, it's these, these storms are kind of terrifying at the end of the day, to be honest. It really is. It's a little scary stuff. But if you're prepared for it, if you have this stuff in place, it makes it a lot easier to deal with, okay? So the first thing with evacuating we got to talk about is the crate. Yeah, we got to talk about crate training again. You know, this is one of those examples I give when I talk about crate training, that it's really important that your dog is comfortable in the crate, that you've introduced the crate in a healthy way. Because if you have to evacuate to a shelter or or a hotel, anywhere, guys, anywhere where your dog is required to be in a crate when you're not there, they need to be comfortable with it. You don't want your dog being anxious. So I, I really recommend that if you if you haven't crate trained your dog, go ahead and do that, you know, because it, it can come in handy in these emergency situations. It's not something you don't have to crate dog, you know, your dog all the time. Just make sure that they're comfortable with it. So that's the first thing. You need to have your dog crate trained. Now, another thing you want to think about with evacuating is you need to have a cheat sheet. Um, it kind of goes back to that, to like their medical records. Have a cheat sheet on hand that's also maybe laminated or in that Ziploc that has all the information that someone could need about your dog, Right. Not just the shots and if they're up to date and their vet information, but their feeding schedule, how much they get when they need their meds, that kind of stuff. So, you know, again, emergency situation, you have to think worst case scenario, if somebody else needed to care for your dogs in a pinch that doesn't know your dogs, that cheat sheet will make it really easy for them. Okay. Another thing you want to bring with you when we're evacuating, collapsible water bowls or or food bowls comes in handy, makes it easy to have that food and water on hand. Definitely want to bring some toys and blankets, maybe a dog bed, something small, something that maybe fits in the crate, has familiar smells, smells like home, you know, that can help bring some comfort to your dog when you're going to a strange place. Now, I know you're thinking we're going to a shelter, they'll have water, they'll have food, they might have that, they're going to have those supplies for people, they may not have enough supplies on hand for your pet. So I would bring enough water and food for your dog, not necessarily need to bring water for yourself, uh, but bring some water with you to the shelter because you might end up needing that for your pets, okay? Have a plan ahead of time, guys. That's that's really the biggest thing I can tell you about evacuating. You need to start thinking again of these worst case scenarios. If you've got small dogs, you need to make sure you've got carriers, proper carriers with handles on them. Cats, same thing. They need to have carriers. You need to have your leash. You need to have collars. You need to have all that basic stuff that you would need to bring with you when you're evacuating. Again, those slip leashes, great thing to have with you for those kind of scenarios as well. Um, but really, you you have to be prepared in these situations and you have to think, What's the worst thing, what's the worst case scenario that could happen for this, you know? And how can I be prepared and how can I make it better, okay? So evacuating is never something any of us want to have to do. We don't want to have to leave our homes, um, but sometimes that is the case when it comes to a hurricane. So just be prepared. So, you know, again, just running through it, guys, make sure you... You, you think about these kind of three sections here. We have the essentials. Make sure you have enough food and water and medications for your dogs. Personally, I think you need to have at least 14 days worth of all of these supplies. That is a lot of water to think about. <laughs> when you've got multiple pets like myself, that is a lot of water, a lot of food, a lot of stuff to keep into consideration. I start preparing with these essentials 
well before hurricane season. Quite frankly, we prepare year round with this stuff. I always make sure I've got extra food and stuff on hand like that. Uh, maybe not the medications as much because, you know, we don't need them if vets are on the corner. But when it comes to hurricane time, I'm making sure we're, we've got plenty of meds on hand. Again, that 14 day to me, two week minimum really is where I like to sit with it. Some things to think about, make sure your pets are microchipped and up to date with their microchips. Make sure they're up to date on all their shots. Make sure you have a laminated or Ziploc copy of the records to keep them dry. Make sure their tags are up to date too with all that information. We also want to think about having some slip leashes on hand, extra supplies, extra leashes, extra collars, all that good stuff. We have supplies for cleaning up messes in case our pets have accidents during the hurricanes. Long time to be locked down in the house, right? Make sure you also have life jackets for your pets. Definitely something to think about when we have a lot of rain coming at us. Of course, the third section we have to think about is that evacuating. Don't forget to crate train your dog ahead of time. Make a cheat sheet with about feeding instructions, care instructions, medic medicine instructions, just in case. Make sure you have those collapsible bowls, toys, blankets, bring enough water for your pets when you're evacuating. And of course, guys, make that plan ahead of time. The more prepared you are, the less stressful these horrible emergency situations can be. Um, and, and, you know, the healthier your pet will end up being in the end. So keep all these things in mind and just remember, be a Boy Scout about it and always be prepared to help your pets. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's a segment called Leashwork 101. We're going to go back to basics today on how to use the leash, how to use the collar, and how to gain success with your dog on the leash and collar, right? And, you know, it's got to start with the most basic thing, what leash and collar should we be using? Now, part of this comes down to preference and part of it comes down to what the right tool is. <laughs> Let's start with the collar. I'll be honest, guys, I've used a lot of different collars over the years. And to me, I try to keep things simple. I try to really keep everything in my training as simple as possible. And it's no different when I'm thinking about a tool like a collar. And when it comes to human beings and our relationship with animals and leashing up animals, we have a, a, a leash that we really have preferred. We have a leash that human beings have been using for thousands of years. They've been using it on livestock. They've been using it on dogs. They've used leashes, these kinds of leashes on just about everything you can think of. And the leash is called a slip leash. You're all familiar with it. It can be one piece of just long cloth leash. And what it does is it loops through and it creates a little circle. And that circle can slip over the dog's head, right? And when you pull, it tightens and constricts. And when you loosen, it releases. It's a slip leash. Slips right over their head. Really simple, right? And the slip leash is, there's a reason. There's a reason the slip leash has been chosen as the tool of choice for so long, for so many years, for so many different species. The reason why is it works, guys. It works because it gives us the ability to guide and direct focus. And when it comes to working with animals, that's what it's all about. That's what training's all about, the ability to guide and direct animals. And my leash and collar need to give me that ability. And if they don't, they're not the right tool for the job. So the collar, yes, to me, you have to have the right collar, not a harness, <laughs> not a halter, not, no, 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 no a collar. Okay. And the correct collar is a martingale collar. 
Now, there's two types of martingales. There's the martingales that have the all cloth version, and then there's the martingales that are partially chain. I like the partially chain ones. Those are the ones you got to use. And look, when it comes to dog training, animal training in general, timing is also key. Timing is very important. And how quick, when, how, you know, how, how fast, how slow, when you do, when you don't, um, how you communicate with your dog an animal when you're training them is very important. And that timing aspect is really important. So the cloth martingale collar, I'll say this about it. It's not that I don't like them. I prefer the cloth martingale over most other tools, but to me, the martingale with the chain is the one that works the best. And here's why. The cloth martingales tend to not release fast enough. They tend to be very slow on the release, and it's because it's cloth, you know? It just doesn't move as fast. It doesn't roll over the sides of the collars. So I like the ones with the chain because the chains tend to release quicker. And that quick release allows me to communicate in a much faster and much more crisp black and white way with my dog, okay? Um, so martingale collars, you know, the ones I like, again, they're, they're sort of a three-fourths piece of cloth, and then that piece of cloth gets attached together by a piece of circular chain that connects the two. And when the leash is attached to that piece of circular chain, it will construct the three-fourth piece of nylon cloth. And it's a very humane, very proper way to be able to correct and work with a dog. Not only that, guys, if you have these things adjusted properly, if you have the, the collar adjusted properly, the dog can't escape out of it. So from a safety perspective, it's awesome. From a training perspective, it's even more awesome. <laughs> so to me, there's no other, there's no other reason. There, there's no other tool. Now, there's no other tool within, <laughs> within certain parameters. Look, as I always say, guys, all my rules, all of my rules have exceptions because all training rules have exceptions. They're never absolute, and it always depends upon the animal and what we're working with. Look, sometimes I do use choke collars. Depends on the animal, depends on the dog. I'm not slapping a choke collar on a chihuahua. That's overkill. There's no reason to do that. And occasionally, on occasions, yes, I do use prong collars too. Knowing how to use them properly is key, guys. Okay, that's, that's everything. Now, I don't use shot collars. Uh, I don't use anything like uh, uh, scent collars, anything, any of that stuff. Um, we're not talking about that. Let's let's talk about the right tool to use. So again, that martingale collar is the correct collar you should have on your dog. My chihuahua has a martingale. My uh, golden retrievers have martingales. I use a martingale on my puppy Riker. I'm using a martingale on my new dog, Nemo. Okay, so think about that. Please use that martingale collar. It's the right tool for the job and it allows us to guide and direct focus, okay? So before we move on to the leash, let's just say one more note on the martingale, proper adjustment. Too often lately, I am revisiting clients and they're going, oh, you know, they're just not responding to corrections and I look at the collar and the collar is loose as can be and I go, well, no wonder. Uh, <laughs> look, as I said at the beginning of the segment, we have to go back to basics. And the reality is, what is this collar? The collar is used to guide and direct, but it's more than that. It's also used as a form of punishment. Okay, that's 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 the reality talk we're going to have today, is the collar is used as a form of punishment. Guys, what's the definition of punishment? If you've listened to my podcast before, you know it. It's anything an animal works to avoid. Anything an animal works to avoid. If an animal does not work to avoid it, well, guess what? It's not a punishment. So that's what I like to ask my clients is when they go, oh, they just don't care about the collar. And I go, well, what's the definition of punishment? Well, anything an animal works to avoid. Okay, so we have to assess, are we correcting them properly? Is the collar adjusted? Pro These are the questions you have to ask. And that's what I, again, this is one thing just, you know, going back, was that last episode? Uh, but going back, this is one thing I love about my job. Yeah, last episode, listen to your dog. Of course, that was the title segment. Um, <laughs> listen to your dog. That's what I love about my job. They'll tell you when you've applied a punishment correctly or reinforcement correctly. They give you all the information you need to know. It's right there in front of you. Okay. So again, if the collar isn't working properly, it's most likely because it's not adjusted properly. And I've run into this quite a few times recently, like I said, with my clients where I don't know why. And yeah, I'm calling you out right now, clients. I am. I don't know why you're loosening your collars. <laughs> You've got to stop doing it. And I try to call them out when I see, you know, if I can look and see, oh, I think that's too loose. Uh, or when I get a hold of that leash, I can definitely tell. Um, but, you know, I got to call you out on it because you have to have these tools adjusted properly. You have to use the tool correctly. And if the tool is too loose, if the collar is too loose, it's not going to work correctly. Okay, so let's talk about the proper adjustment. The proper adjustment is the uh, martingale collar, like I said, has that, has that chain. 
And what you do is you put the collar on your dog. This is how you find the right size. Put the collar on your dog. And then you're going to pull on that chain. Not, you know, not hard, just enough that it constricts. And basically, if the chain tightens all the way where the two hoops that it's attached to, if they meet in the center and they touch, it's too loose. How about if you pull it tight all the way? Can you take your hand and put your hand underneath the collar? Can you shove it in there really easily? Then it's too loose. Okay. What we want is ideally when we pull that collar tight, there should be about an inch, maybe a little less than an inch, but about an inch of chain between the two hoops because it should be tightened to a point that you cannot constrict it and have those two side hoops meet. Okay, again, I'm gonna explain that again. I know it's a little confusing and I think what I'm gonna do is probably post either a small video or a picture. Yeah, we'll do pictures maybe like, a, hey, this is the right way, this is the wrong way, right? Uh, we'll do a picture, that's what I'm gonna do on my Instagram of the proper way to adjust a martingale collar. But again, when you pull it tight around the neck, when you pull it tight and hold it, not so tight that you're hurting the dog, just enough that it's tightened, those two side hoops should not meet. There should be about an inch of chain in between. And guys, if it's not adjusted properly, it's not going to work properly. Really important, right? Look, if you don't have the right screws, are you going to be able to screw in something you're trying to build? No. If you don't have the right tool to screw those screws in, right? No. <laughs> okay. So you have to have the right tools and you have to adjust the tools correctly. Okay. So I just kind of wanted to make a, that little side note. But again, go check out my Instagram, Speak a Dogcast. I'm going to post a picture of the right way and the wrong way to have your martingale collar adjusted. Okay, so moving on to leashes. Now, leashes are a little bit of personal preference, I'll be honest. As long as your leash is six feet, that's what I like, a nice six-foot leash. As long as it's six feet and it's some sort of nylon cloth or, 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 or uh, leather, I'm fine with that. Whatever your personal preference is in your hand for feel. What I don't like is a leash that flexes and, 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 and is, you know, has a flexible material or a leash that's an extendable leash. Please get rid of the runaway extendable leashes. They're the worst thing ever. <laughs> Six-foot nylon regular leash. Look, if you like the round cotton leashes, uh, you know, to each his own, I'm not a big fan of those. I, I find they don't sit in my hand well. And that's why this comes down to a personal preference thing. My wife, uh, she has discovered recently that she really likes the two-ply leashes. I personally, she likes a one-inch uh, wide two-ply leash. I personally cannot stand a one-inch leash, especially one that's two-ply. Makes me crazy. It's too much leash in my hand, but that's just me. She feels much more confident having a bigger leash and she feels like she can grab more, uh, more hold of it. And that's fine. Again, to each his own. Some people have discovered, you know, tying a knot in the leash to create uh, a nice little grab point. It helps to each his own, guys. As long as it's that six foot leash and you can have control of it. That's really all I care about when it comes to the leash. I really like a leash that's more like three-fourths, maybe even five-eighths, you know, with something a little smaller, thinner. Part of it is when I'm walking multiple dogs, I can't have, I, it's really difficult to hold you know, more than like one or two one-inch two-ply leashes in your hand. It's like next to impossible. So I like a really thin, small leash so I can hold multiple leashes in my hand. Makes it easy to manipulate. Uh, when I'm training and working with a dog, a lot of times I'm handing the leash off to, to you know, my other hand, doing my turns. doing. So it, it, to me, it, it's, again, personal preference as long as it's that six-foot nylon leather cloth leash, okay? Now, we've spent a lot of time talking about the correct tools and, and, and basics of how to use them and how to adjust them properly because, guys, it's so important. It's so important. You want to talk about leash work 101? That's like, that's the most important part. If you don't have that other basic stuff, the right tools, the right collar, the right leash, what's comfortable for you, knowing about it, knowing how to tighten it properly, loosen it, those kind of things, if you don't have them, moving on to actually working with your dog is not going to go over so well. I'm just being honest. That's just how it's going to go. Um, all right. So let's move on though. Let's say, how do we gain focus working on a leash? So how do we gain focus? Now I, I, I hound on this over and over. I know it's like, it, you guys are probably sick of hearing it, but you got to go back to basics again. <laughs> you got to go back to some basic psychology. Uh, leash work starts with understanding what is a leash. What am I trying to accomplish? That's the first thing you need to ask yourself when you're working. When you want to when you want to master your leash work 101, what are you trying to accomplish with this leash? And and at the end of the day, what you what should be the answer uh, is you're trying to accomplish 
well, your dog walking well on a leash is the obvious answer, uh, obvious answer. But really what it is, is you want to, you want to accomplish gaining focus and having the ability to guide and direct it. That's really what leash work is about. Gaining focus and having the ability to guide and direct it. That's how you get your dog to walk well on a leash. I'm going to say it one more time. Gaining their focus and having the ability to guide and direct it. If you do not have those things, leash work is never going to work. (laughs) Leash work will never happen. You will never attain a proper, calm uh, walk. It's just just not going to happen. (laughs) Okay? So... To go back to the basics, you have to know what you want to reinforce and what you don't want to reinforce. We're going to start with a general rule of thumb. When we are on leash with our dog, anytime your dog looks up at you, you want to tell them, good boy, good girl, good dog. Anytime they glance up at you when you have them on leash, guys, can't stress it enough. So important. You want to teach your dog and strengthen the behavior of, hey, anytime you look up at me, you get something great, whether it just be praise or affection or food, change it up, right? But make sure you bare minimum give them a, hey, good boy, good girl. Going back to those basics here, positive reinforcement is the addition of a stimulus to increase a targeted behavior. My rule of thumb is I want you to reinforce any desired behavior. And as I said, Leash work starts with focus. So if I can gain focus, if my dog glances, looks up at me, start with something really basic and go, good boy, good girl. And we start strengthening and reinforcing that focus. So if I can start with something really basic like that, that makes, once we start walking and moving and getting outside on a walk, makes it a lot easier. Okay. So that's where it starts. Now, I definitely, I recommend bringing some food into the picture with leash work. We definitely want to have our treat pouch. Okay. When you get outside and you start getting out into the world and there's all the stimulation around you and smells and scents and all that good stuff, your dog can become distracted and more motivated (laughs) by what's going on around them than what you're offering. So you need to be able to have something to offer that is more motivating than what's going on around them. And food is the most basic, easy way to do that, okay? So you want to reinforce them and and strengthen and entice them to give them a reason to want to listen to you. Right? I mean, that's pretty basic, pretty simple. Um, So make sure you have your treat pouch with you. And when we start walking with our dog, I want you to just stick around by home. You know, you don't have to go far. Stick by your driveway, wherever. Don't need to go too far. And just start walking with your dog. And if your dog starts to get out in front of you, I want you to turn around, do a 180, and turn and walk the other way. Now, if you have this little martingale collar on, you can make a small correction, right? Small correction. A correction should be a pop correction is what I call it. You want to make a correction where the collar tightens and loosens almost immediately. Remember, never, ever, ever, ever do we want to pull and hold using these collars. Martingale collars are designed to mimic a nip in the natural way dogs correct each other. And I want you to use that collar in a way that does just that. A little nip, a little nip, a little nip. Never a pull and hold. In and out, in and out, in and out. Pop correction, pop correction, pop correction. So if your dog starts to get in front of you, you're going to turn the other way, pop correction, and start walking the other direction. Now, your dog's probably going to start to try to get in front of you again. Same thing. The second they get in front of you, turn and walk the other way. Before you know it, a little bit of repetition and consistency with this, your dog's going to go, okay, every time I try to walk in front of this guy and I want to get, I want to go that way, every time I want to go that way and I bolt, he doesn't let me, we turn around and go the opposite direction I want to go. So going back to basics, anything an animal works to avoid is the definition of punishment. We're providing a collar correction as well as going the opposite direction the animal wants to go, your dog wants to go. That's a form of punishment because they work to avoid it. Now they're going to realize, oh boy, every time I go in front of this guy, I get something I don't like, like the collar correction. But every time I back off and follow him, no collar correction. Now your dog starts to realize, oh, walking next to you works a lot better for me. Before you know it, boom, there's a behavior we want to reinforce with a treat. Good boy, good girl, good dog. And now all of a sudden, we're communicating with our dog in a very black and white way using our leash, right? If your dog does a behavior you don't like, you're going to need it to decrease. We can use our collar correction as a form of punishment to get that behavior to decrease, Once that behavior does decrease, we remove the collar corrections, right? And instead, we reinforce the behavior with a good boy, good girl. We remove the collar corrections to negatively reinforce behavior, and then we want that behavior to continue. We want to positively reinforce, saying, keep doing that. 
Okay, getting a little tricky, running through it kind of quick there. Uh, if a little bit of that was confusing, I recommend going back and listening to my Psychology 101 segment or the segment on positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, and punishment. Having an understanding of the basics, guys, it's everything. It's everything. I can't stress it enough. And look, that leash work, that's the most basic way to get your dog to start working with you. Again, you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to go far. Bring out your treats. Get them in a treat pouch. Bring out the proper leash and proper collar. Stick around in your driveway and just go back and forth, back and forth until your dog starts to understand, right? Every time they go in front of you, you turn and give them a little collar correction. Every time they stay with you, you keep walking and you give them food and praise. It can start with that being that basic. If your dog has issues with distractions, seeing other dogs, seeing people, and they start barking, that's a little more in depth. If you can't even get your dog to follow you in your driveway or right outside your home, without any distractions, then forget getting into into the distractions, right? So this is why we're talking leash work 101. We're not talking leash work getting your dog to ignore other dogs because it gets aggressive. (laughs) That's another step. We have to take that a little further. But when I start working with my clients, you know, this is where it starts. This is where it begins, It always starts with a proper walk and proper leash work. And this is what I get them to do. Now, we go a little more in depth on how to turn and redirect our dogs, right? We get a little more in depth on how to use that collar, how to use those turns and redirections properly and and a little little more in depth, like I said. Um, So, you know, if if you are interested in learning how to get this stuff more in depth, reach out to me. Give me an email, questions at speakadogcast.com. We're doing, you know, virtual training sessions now, which is going great. So uh, please feel free to let me know what's going on with your dog and we can talk more in depth about that. Got to give that little plug there. Uh, But Needless to say, guys, it starts with the basics. That's where your leash work starts. And if you can start communicating with your dog in a really black and white way and getting them to walk with you really nicely right outside your house, doing that for a week, then guess what? Week two, we're going to start walking a little bit away from the house and we can continue and continue to reinforce them walking with you. If they start to get ahead of you again, boom, we're right back to basics, redirecting it, using using our collar, using our leash to get them back with us. Leash work is by far the most important part about training your dog. I don't recommend training your dog off leash until you can train your dog on leash, right? (laughs) Makes perfect sense. I look at training is sort of like algebra to me. And I've said this before, you know, you you can't pass week two of algebra without week one. You can't pass the final exam of, of algebra. It's all cumulative and it all adds up. And dog training is the same thing. Animal training is the same thing. Okay. I tell my clients, if you can't get your dog to listen to you on two feet of leash, how in the world do you expect them to do it on 10, 20, 30, 40, no leash, okay? Leash work 101 starts with the proper tools and understanding how to have them adjusted correctly and how to use them correctly. Once we understand how to use them, then we can put them into play, teaching our dog the basics of, hey, this is what my expectations are. You get in front of me, boom, collar correction. You stay with me, boom, affection and reinforcement. We're going to learn to strengthen those behaviors and punish the behaviors we don't like. It's really basic. It's really simple. We don't want to overcomplicate it. Keep it simple at the end of the day. Understand what you're doing, what tools you're using, and you'll be able to have your leash work under control in no time. Next on Speak Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Boxer. Now, as I said on last week's episode, we're going to be running through the breeds that my dog, Riker, uh, came back with on his DNA test. That's going to be the breeds that we're going to be featuring on the Breed of the Week until we, well, run out of breeds. <laughs> yeah, and so the first uh, the first breed that we went through, and this was actually two episodes ago that we did the big DNA reveal. If you want to go back and listen to that, that was kind of interesting and, and awesome to uh, hear about. But the first breed was the American Pitbull Terrier, which we featured. Then was the uh, last week was the Australian Cattle Dog. And then this week, we're featuring the Boxer. Now, the next one, the next breed in line, actually, on his DNA results was the Siberian Husky, but we already did a feature on the Siberian Husky. So today, it's going to be the Boxer. Now, the Boxer, they're a member of the working group. Yes, they can get anywhere from 65 to 80 pounds. They are a strong, loyal, fun, and intelligent breed, and they can just make an all-around amazing dog. But their power and their drive to work can also make them an ideal candidate for really just about any job. 
They also have a caring disposition toward their family, and well, this provides an excellent watchdog and a companion even for kids. But, however, sometimes the boxer can't have a lot of energy that needs to be channeled properly, so small children may not be best around this breed. As with any dog, though, early socialization and exposure to as many experiences as possible can help set the boxer up for success. Boxers do have some health issues that owners and breeders should be aware of. The boxer does not have a high tolerance for extreme heat or cold and should always be kept inside with their families. Hip dysplasia and some heart conditions such as cardiomyopathy and aortic stenosis can occur. Thyroid deficiencies and some cancers can be prevalent as well. But kept in good health, the boxer can live to be 10 to 12 years old. Now, the origin of the boxer can be traced back to Germany. The true ancestor of the boxer can be attributed to the Assyrian Empire, dating as far back as 2500 BC. Now, boxers are related to the Mastiff, and Mastiffs date back as one of the earliest groups of dogs to exist. But it wasn't until the late 1800s that the boxer took shape into the dog that we know today. The original boxer-type dog was a breed known in Germany as the Bullenbeisser, they were used for hunting to take down wild boar, bear, and deer. These dogs gained popularity on German estates, and they were renowned for their ability to corner and hold their prey until the hunters arrived. However, by the early 1800s, German estates were broken up, and really the need for the bull and bicer was, well, no more. The process of breeding down the bull and bicer into a smaller, more sleek-type mastiff dog began. Some of the crossbreeds involved adding English breeds, such as the English Bulldog, and the result, by the late 1800s, was the standardization of the boxer that we know today. The boxer became an all-around working dog, performing as an athlete, a guard dog, cattle dog, police and war dog, and even as a service dog. Boxers were used in both World War I and World War II as messenger, attack, and guard dogs. The breed was added to the AKC in 1904, but it wasn't until the 1940s that they saw the popularity grow in the U.S. when soldiers brought the dogs back after World War II. Since the 1950s, the Boxer has regularly been in the top 10 most popular breeds in the United States. The answer to today's trivia question, what dog was bred from the old English Bulldog and the now extinct Bullenbeiser? If you were listening to the Breed of the Week, you know that it's the Boxer. Yes, the Boxer was bred from the Old English Bulldog and the now-extinct Bullenbeiser from Germany. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Kristen from Miami, Florida. Kristen says... My dog has an embarrassing problem. He has a teddy bear toy that I gave him as a puppy and he loves it. I mean, he loves it. <laughs> he will hump the toy obsessively, especially when I have guests over. How do I get him to stop doing this? Well, this is an interesting thing. Now, I, I, the interesting fact, interesting little detail you put in there is that he especially loves to do it when you have guests over. So what that tells me is he's, believe it or not, showing off a little bit. <laughs> yes, this is most likely a control behavioral issue. Uh, but the first thing we have to ask is, is your dog neutered, right? He, If he's not neutered, then there's probably some frustration going on there and he's attempting to get that frustration out. So that's the first thing. Now, if he is neutered and he still continues this, the thing with humping is humping can actually be a playful behavior for dogs if it's done in a healthy way, right? Anything too obsessive is not a good thing. It sounds to me like this is definitely on the side of obsessive, right? So how do you fix it? Well, stop him, you know? Don't let him. Stop him from doing it. Leash him up and guide him away from the toy. When he walks away from the toy and gives up on it, you tell him, good boy, and give him a treat. Um, but that's the easiest way. You don't necessarily want to take the toy away and make it a forbidden fruit because then it'll just want it more if it ever comes back out. So this, again, I'm, I'm kind of hearing that this is probably more behavioral and the fact that he likes to do it and show off, if you will, <clears throat> you know, if, when your guests come over, that's sort of a control issue. You know, I'd be interested to know if there's any other control mechanisms your dog attempts to do, uh, at any other time. You know, whether it be controlling affection with you, controlling feeding time, controlling if your guests come in and out, does he obsessively bark when they leave, when they come? There's all these other little details that I wonder 
you know, uh, if there's some other patterns going on that maybe you're not recognizing that you could try to tackle as well. A lot of times a controlling behavior like that is not something that displaces in only one area, but can actually find itself displacing in multiple areas of your dog's life. So if you can attack these behavioral issues from multiple ways, you'll find it'll solve all of them <laughs> easier and faster. Okay. So, you know, really, honestly, easiest way, leash him up and don't let it happen and reward it when he walks away and gives up. Really, that's the easiest way to take control. But your dog also might be bored. Maybe you're not walking your dog enough, giving him enough stimulation. There are a few different factors that can come into play here. But to me, the easiest way to stop this is to, to stop it. Don't let him, don't let him do it. Next question. This comes from Angie from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Angie says, I have a new puppy that is a picky eater. I have changed his food at least four times now, and he just doesn't seem interested in eating. He does like dog treats, and I'll supplement his diet by putting treats in it. Oh boy. But I'm getting desperate. <laughs> what should I do? Angie, first thing you want to do is stop catering to your dog. I know, I know. You Look, here's the thing. You have a new puppy. A puppy should be interested in pretty much any food you put in front of him, and if he's not, there's most likely something behavioral, go behavioral going on there. Now, the first thing I want you to do is get your dog checked out by your vet. If your vet says he's, he's all good and everything's fine, then it's a behavioral issue. But there could be something medical hiding under there, maybe. Um, I, I doubt it, honestly, because I hear this a lot with puppies where, oh, they're a picky eater. Most likely you've ended up reinforcing and letting them become a picky eater is what's happened. Look, here's the reality, guys. A dog is not going to starve themselves. They're not going to do it unless there's something medically wrong with them. If your dog is eating the dog treats without a problem, <laughs> then I don't think it's him being picky. Uh, I, you know, I think there's some anxiety issues that might be happening there. You know, yes, dogs have taste buds. Sure, they have certain preferences. But the reality is, guys, a dog is a predator. Predators should eat food anytime it's presented because it, it, it may not be there tomorrow. That's the reality when it comes to being a predator. Food doesn't just sit around and grow on bushes. <laughs> you have to hunt and kill. And unfortunately, hunt and kill, the food isn't just going to stay there when you're done. So you better eat it when you have the chance. And so it's no different. That instinct, even though this is a domesticated animal, the instinct is still in there. So the dog is not going to starve himself. What I would recommend is getting with your vet, finding a healthy and nutritional food that's going to work best for you and your puppy, and then I would recommend only feeding your dog. Now, if your dog is small, if, you know, if they're, if they're little and they need three feedings a day, by all means, continue three feedings a day. Uh, but basically it goes like this. You need to put the food down for three to five minutes. Maybe feed your dog in their crate. So that way they don't really have an option. They can't walk away. Put them in their crate. Put the food in there for three to five minutes. If they don't eat the food, you take it away. If they eat part of the food and then they stop eating, you take it away. The food doesn't come back again until the next meal. Next meal time rinse and repeat. Okay. I promise you, your dog is not going to starve themselves. And if you make it very black and white for them to understand that here's the food, you better eat it. If you don't, it's not going to be there anymore. Your dog's going to eat. Look, my parents did that to me when I was a kid. Uh, this is what's for dinner. If you don't want to eat it, you're not going to eat tonight. And it didn't take me long to realize, well, I better eat or I'm going to be hungry. <laughs> a little tough love, right? I'm not going to starve myself. Your dog's not going to starve themselves. Uh, so you need a little tough love when it comes to fixing these kind of diet-related issues. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you're an Apple Podcast subscriber and you like what you're hearing, do me a favor, click that five-star review. Yes, let me know what you're thinking. I would greatly appreciate it. If you have any questions for the listener Q&A, email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog. <laughs>